Welcome to the Italian Wine Podcast. This episode has been brought to you by the Wine to Wine Business Forum 2022. This year will mark the ninth edition of the forum to be held on November 7th and 8th of 2022 in Verona, Italy. This year will be an exclusively in-person edition. The main theme of the event will be all-round wine communication. Tickets are on sale now, so for more information, please visit us at winetowine.net. Italian Wine Podcast, a Wine to Wine Business Forum 2021 media partner, is proud to present a series of sessions highlighting the key themes and ideas from the two-day event held on October the 18th and 19th. 2021. This hybrid edition of the Business Forum was jam-packed with the most informed speakers discussing some of the hottest topics in the wine industry today. For more information, please visit winetowine.net and tune in every Thursday at 2pm Central European Time for more episodes recorded during this latest edition of Wine to Wine Business Forum. Right, good morning from, uh, well, Dublin, and uh, good good afternoon from India. Uh, welcome to this uh, session on on the Indian wine market, and in particular, uh, premiumization and its role and, and where it's going in the market. It's a very exciting market, um, uh, especially over the last 10 years. Uh, the, there's been a rapid change, rapid growth, rapid consolidation in the Indian wine business, uh, in the wine wine making business, and um, certainly in Europe where we are, uh, I'm seeing more and more Indian wine wineries represented in portfolios. Um, uh, Ruma Singh, who is going to be conducting this uh, this presentation, is um, well versed in the Indian market. She's um, very much a market expert. She's a wine professional, uh, wine uh, wine and spirits education trust diploma holder, and just a very um, good commentator on on the market uh, in India. There's a lot of information to get through. I think from what I've seen of the presentation, it's very detailed, uh, but also very very um, useful. So I will hand over to Ruma immediately. Please send your questions to through the swap card forum. And we'll have a Q and A after the presentation uh, with your um, with your questions. Ruma, over to you. Thank you for the introduction, Harshal. Uh, I'm Ruma Singh, and I'm here today to talk to you about the Indian wine industry and where it is today. Um, with uh, through this uh, presentation, uh, thirty minute presentation, we'll take a quick look at the industry, its timelines, because. Uh, a lot of people are not very familiar with the Indian wine industry. We'll also look at the success stories, the top producers, and why choosing the path of making premium wines is what is going to be the game changer for the industry going forward. Um, uh, I'll just share my screen with you right now. So, um, for the purpose of simplicity, I have not differentiated between premium wines and super premium wines in the market today. 
the super, super premium wine is still a very, very small segment and a very niche market. And the wineries I spoke with agreed that the price that actually hits the sweet spot for the Indian consumer for premium wine is approximately 1200 rupees or about 15 euro. Uh, I shall uh, broad brush the uh, category of premium and pre uh, super premium together just for the purpose to understand the way the industry is functioning today. So we'll first take a, a look at the wine landscape today. I will introduce you to the top players in the industry and their premium products. And finally, let's look at the future trends, which I believe will impact the growth of premium wine consumption in India. So, uh, India population 1.3 billion. That number can be fairly stunning, but I would urge you to remember that India is a very vast country. It's made up of 29 individual and extremely diverse states and functions more in fact like a small continent. The states make many individual decisions and many of their own policies, including state taxes and duties, which include the consumption and distribution of alcoholic beverages, including wine. Interestingly, history, in fact, and research has shown that people in the Indian subcontinent drank wine during the ancient Indus Valley civilization, which Research puts at currently 8,000 years old, uh, older, in fact, than Egypt and Mesopotamia. But, um, well, that was a long time ago and history has intervened. Um, and right now, the modern wine culture has been slow to gain traction. There are estimated, uh, and this is an estimate because there are no concrete and verified figures, but this figure of 10 million wine drinkers I have got from uh, speaking in depth to all the top wine uh, companies and based on their sales. So 10 million is what the wine drinkers are, and that is a 0.8% of the total population, not a large number. However, the industry uh, and consumption basically has been showing a steady growth of 15% year on year until the pandemic hit in 2019. So in this um, map of India that you see in front of you, I have highlighted the two main states for production and consumption of wine. They are Maharashtra, which is uh, on the west coast, and Karnataka, just below that. And I have also mentioned the top locations for uh, production of wine. In the case of Maharashtra, it is Nashik. And uh, in, in Bangalore, it, in, sorry, in Karnataka, it is Bangalore and the Humpy Hills. Uh, I've also mentioned the soil altitude and rainfall, which we won't go into in great depth, but it's there for you to see. So what are the reasons for the dominance of these two states? Various, including the fact that there are various um, degrees of strictness in alcohol distribution and production around India, including all the states, while some states, specifically these two and a few others, have fairly liberal uh, approaches to the distribution of alcoholic beverages, including wine. Others perhaps do not. In fact, some have complete prohibition, which makes it a fairly challenging market to navigate. 
also uh, the two capitals um, in uh, the two states, Mumbai and Bangalore, are mature wine markets with discerning consumers. The location of both the cities also makes distribution easy within their states, and they are well located in terms of proximity to established wine regions within their states. But of course, there are challenges, the main one being viticulture. Um, point number one says tropical viticulture, and I honestly wish I could put that in capital letters because that is a huge impact on uh, everything to do with wine production and uh, its pricing. For one, uh, the risk of disease is extremely high uh, during, uh, due to the northeast monsoons, which come in November after the southwest monsoons, which are the main monsoons. And the November monsoons come in the thick of the growing season. As you know, um, India's harvest period is between February and March. So there is no dormancy period for vines owing to the climate. And one growth cycle starts fairly soon uh, after the other. This necessitates two prunings annually and uh, the associated higher cultivation costs are large. Vine life is also much shorter than in most other countries, um, 20 years, 25 if you're very lucky. And uh, another point which I uh, heard from a winemaker in one of the top wineries when I was speaking with him, the average price they pay of grapes when they buy in grapes is 70 to 80 euro cents per kilo kilogram and that is very high as you know there are um, volume markets even within Europe where uh, you know you can get perhaps even a bottle of wine for the same price as a kilogram of grapes in India nonetheless um, another interesting fact which I must share before moving to the next slide and that is that three quarters of the wine consumed in India is still Indian however that is not mostly premium wines. Uh, and just uh, one quarter of it is imported. So let's have a very quick look at the timelines of the Indian industry because it will help you understand just how young it actually is. And the last two decades have been very significant. The industry actually set up in the late 80s and 90s. Um, and during that time, there was mainly fortified and sweet wines. Uh, uh, which flooded the market fairly cheap. Um, and by the 2000s, the bigger players started establishing themselves. However, came the economic downturn in 2008, and that affected the industry uh, negatively. But soon after that, uh, new wineries started operations, and several states started introducing wine policies, wine-friendly policies, I should say, and primary among those was Maharashtra and later Karnataka. So this led already to a premiumization push within the industry with increased focus on premium wines. A lot of winemakers and experts came in from abroad to advise and the number of grapes and the varieties that were grown moved beyond uh, Shiraz and, um, let me just quickly go back to that, moved beyond Shiraz, Cabernet, etc., to um, 
to other uh, grapes such as Viognier, Tempranillo, Riesling, etc. And of course, going ahead, we will look at the rapid growth in consumer spend and the growing influence of the middle class and the associated increase in food and beverage spend in the near future, which will impact the premium wine industry. So let's have a look at the number of key drivers currently contributing to Indian wine premiumization. The first was actually something that started last year where the Prime Minister Narendra Modi um, conceptualized the Atmanirbhar Bharat concept or self-reliant India. And that spawned a whole lot of catchphrases and terms such as vocal for local and make in India, which went viral. What essentially it means is that there was a new renewed pride in quality Indian made in India products. And you can see how this would impact uh, premium Indian wine. Secondly, Indians were traveling at a great pace before the pandemic struck. And from all accounts, that is picking up again um, very, very quickly. And this has resulted in greater exposure to wines from different countries, different styles, and of course, a greater awareness of quality in wine. Along, came, along with this came the acceleration in domestic tourism, which was centered around niche and boutique experiences such as visits to wineries uh, and different forms of wine tourism, tasting, etc. Thirdly, there was an increased awareness of alcoholic beverage trends around the world and um, premium Indian products in this uh, category, such as Indian single malt whiskies, gin, craft beer, meads, uh, single estate coffees and teas, etc. started coming uh, front of focus and gaining visibility, also winning awards, which again has acted as a spur to improve the quality of wine overall. Finally, as I mentioned earlier, the growing middle class with its uh, disposable income is looking for quality experiences and products, and we'll come to this a little more going ahead. So now let me introduce you to the top wine producers and let's touch upon their premium products and how they have chose to premiumize their portfolios. For the purpose of this presentation, I have picked the top three uh, wineries in India and one winery, uh, Christmas Estates, which is a premium only boutique producer. Just to give an uh, overview of the situation as it is today and get some insights into how they're functioning. Well, first and by a very large margin is Sula Vineyards with its sun logo. As you can see on the extreme left, it is India's largest by a large margin and uh, started in 1999 by Rajiv Saman, a Stanford graduate who came back from Silicon Valley and decided to start up his vineyards around the region of Nashik in Maharashtra, which in fact, uh, he can be credited for starting this whole concept of wineries, which grew very rapidly around that same region, around Sula, and made Nashik into India's wine capital, if you will. Second is Grover Zampa, India's second largest, started by the Grover family in 1988. And that makes it the longest running Indian winery today. 
It has expanded over a period of time through mergers and acquisitions starting from 2012 and gaining uh, rapidly under the chairmanship of Singapore-based investor and wine lover Ravi Vishwanathan, now the chairman. And they have bought up quite a few of the Indian wine companies and they have very ambitious plans on the anvil. Again, they are located like Sula in Karnataka and Maharashtra. Fratelli is number three, started relatively um, late in 2007, which makes it just about 14 years old. And uh, of its seven founders, brothers, uh, three are Italian, including the winemaker Piero Masi, who is um, uh, a very influential when it comes to the direction taken uh, by the wines in Fratelli. Again, location, Maharashtra and Karnataka. Finally, as I mentioned, the premium only boutique producer Prisma Estates was established in 2008. A very interesting location, just a short distance from a UNESCO World Heritage Center of Hampi, which is a few centuries old, and in a place where actually there are no other wineries uh, except Prisma. So that was in Hampi Hills in Karnataka. A uh, little bit into the figures, which will give you a little deeper understanding as to where they are today. Sula, as you can see, in 2019, which was the last year, which was the last normal year, I should say, before the pandemic, it produced 12.1 million bottles, of which one quarter were premium. Uh, and Sula actually produces 60% of all Indian wine today. Uh, of the 38 wines in its portfolio, it has 15 premium in the value of 850 rupees or 10 euro and more. Grover Zampa uh, in 2019 had a production of 3, uh, 3 million bottles and in their portfolio they have 40 wines of which 25 are premium, 9 to 10 euros and above. For Fratelli, uh, the projected annual production for 2021 is 3.2 million bottles. And in their portfolio, they have 38 wines, of which 10 are premium, 12 euros and more. Finally, Chrisma, um, they have a fairly small production, as I mentioned, 2019, under 50,000 bottles produced overall. Uh, and in their portfolio, five wines, all of them premium. Prisma is widely regarded as one of the top producers in India today in terms of production of quality premium wines. A little bit further into what they're producing and also a look at each producer's premium products. For Sula, it's the Rasa range. And Rasa actually consists of three wines, the Cabernet Sauvignon, which is the most expensive at 22 euros, also a Zinfandel and a Syrah. Syrah is actually a larger production. Um, and I'm told Zinfandel is doing very well and appealing to the Indian palate. Um, they had 30,000 bottles sold in 2019 of just the Cabernet Sauvignon, and they've been showing a steady 45% growth in the period, a five-year period ending 2019. What is very interesting uh, is the delinking of the Sula logo for their new Rasa uh, promotion. 
And this has happened just a few weeks ago. If you look on the left, um, there is the old bottle of Rasa. And you can see the Sun logo and Sula mentioned quite clearly. On the right is the new Rasa bottle, the Cabernet Sauvignon to be specific. Uh, very different look, very clean, classic, linear, no mention of Sula or any appearance of its logo. This, they told me, is an effort to delink their premium most products from the rest of the portfolio and uh, maybe disassociate a little bit from the uh, entry-level and mid-priced wines in their portfolio and create a niche for itself. Also interesting is the fact that they have recently joined the International Wineries for Climate Action just a few weeks ago. This, as uh, some of you might know, is a project by Miguel Torres and uh, the Jackson family wines. So then we have Grover Zampa. Their uh, flagship premium wine is La Reserve. And their original La Reserve, which is a fairly large portfolio now, it consists of, uh, is the Cabernet Shiraz. In fact, the La Reserve Cabernet Shiraz is widely regarded as India's first icon wine and mentioned by Stephen Sparia and Decanter in 2005 as the best new world wine that year. Today, La Reserve, had, the brand has expanded and there is a Blanc, which is a Viognier uh, Fumé Blanc, a Shiraz Grenache and a Brut. They have also, as you can see on the left, um, undergone uh, some changes in branding and uh, their focus remains premium. They have managed to make La Reserve their premium brand. They've in fact branded a lot of their hospitality and um, tourism projects with the La Reserve brand. And um, with the push that they made in the years before the pandemic, they've managed to increase the sales of this La Reserve the entire portfolio, which is predominantly the Cabernet Shiraz by 130%. Italian Wine Podcast, brought to you by Mama Jumbo Shrimp. The winemaking consultant is Michelle Roland, and they're in the process, interestingly again, of launching a new single vineyard Syrah, which they've named Signet, and was earlier called Insignia. Um, this, when it is launched, will be India's most expensive wine bottled. It will cost about 8,000 rupees or just over 90 euros for a magnum. Grover Zampa places a strong emphasis on sustainability and technology driven by its chairman, uh, Ravi Vishwanathan, as well as uh, emphasis on exports. And they have been placed in the past in top London and Paris restaurants. They also have the largest number of awards to their name, 180, including Decanter, Decanter Asia, and so on. As far as Sette is concerned, um, their flagship wine, uh, sorry, Fratelli is concerned, their flagship wine is called Sette. Uh, Sette is for seven, named after the seven founders. As you can see in the photographs, there are four of the seven founders there. And uh, Sete is produced only in good vintages. Uh, in the last vintage that was produced, which was 2017, there were 60,000 bottles only produced. And um, I'm told that they're pretty much sold out. The next vintage in the market will be 2020. And to date, only seven vintages have been released. 
Growth has been fairly steady at 15%. And if you see the sector bottle again on the left, fairly minimalistic and uh, classic in its look. And it is marketed through a series of vertical tastings for its consumers, which place emphasis on structure and ageability of the wine. This is a Sangiovese dominated wine. Additional information, which is interesting, is uh, Fratelli's uh, had some premium collaborations in the past with international personalities, such as Stephen Spurrier for the Massey Spurrier or MS range, and with Jean-Charles Boisset for the Janoon range, a very small niche um, uh, production. And that was already at uh, 46 euros a bottle. Uh, Again, a point of interest is that uh, Fratelli has not joined the Nashik party. Uh, actually, they are based in Akluj, which is a distance away from the hub of Nashik. And it was chosen specifically for its nutrient-poor soils, which they considered suited for cultivating Sangiovese, which is their flagship grape. And uh, Piero Masi is um, a Tuscan, uh, Tuscany veteran uh, winemaker. Today, they have 12 different grape varieties um, in Akluj, including two Sangiovese clones developed by Masi. And they get their clones from the Guillaume Nursery in France. Finally, uh, Christma Estates, they have their Cabernet Sauvignon as their flagship brand. The price is 23 euros. And as I mentioned earlier, the production is under 50,000 uh, a year bottles in total of which Cabernet Sauvignon is a good 50 to 60 percent depending on vintage. Uh, there are also 300 Magnum made. There aren't too many Magnums in the Indian market. 2017 is the last vintage. Again, they only produce in good vintages. Defined Indian identity, as you can see from the bottle on the left, the first Indian company to have a second wine in uh, a la Bordeaux and also to emphasize the importance of vintage and what it brings to the table. Uh, Chrisma is situated in a very um, low rainfall zone, just 400 millimeters, and this brings with it drought risks and has affected production in the past. Uh, though irrigation is possible, it also has implications uh, in terms of cost. The Chigurupatis, uh, for whom this is a passion project rather than their main business, which is pharmaceuticals, put in a lot of time and effort, especially Uma Chigurupati, uh, who runs the winery today. They did briefly um, uh, export to New York very successfully, I'm told. Uh, but unfortunately, they had to stop that because they were not able to service uh, the export market because of demands in the domestic market. In fact, even in the domestic market, they're sold just in three very mature markets, and that's what they want to concentrate on. Finally, let's have a look at future trends, which definitely should have a correlation on how premium wine will grow in India. The first is wine tourism and hospitality, rapidly growing businesses in India. And this has been leveraged by the country's top wine producers 
to create awareness for their brands, specifically their premium brands, which otherwise their consumers may not be able to uh, experience, and also to draw new drinkers in. And uh, specifically, this is being done very successfully by Sula. They have two properties in, in their Nasik facility, and they see 400,000 visitors a year. It's a large number for visits, tastings, and states because they have 70 suites between the two uh, properties. And um, what they've informed me is that after the uh, since the lockdown was lifted um, a little while ago in Maharashtra, their occupancy has soared to close to 95%. Um, Nasik, as I mentioned earlier, is also very, very well located and that does help. For Grover Zampa, um, they had started before the pandemic struck on developing their Bangalore winery and hospitality, which included the La Reserve. As you know, they, they emphasize La Reserve for their premium uh, uh, hospitality experiences, tasting room, winery visits, restaurant, etc. But they have very ambitious plans, which are currently um, underway in Nashik for a mega hospitality project worth about 10 million euros. And this, they tell me, will be run by a top hotel chain, Indian hotel chain, and will consist of 110 chalets, amphitheater, spa, tasting room, the works. As you can see, the photographs on the right, the top two are of Sula's source and their uh, rooms. And the bottom two are of the new Nashik project for Grover Zampa, artists' impression of what the project will look like. When we come to Fratelli, they have a sm relatively small hospitality center in Akluj. As I said, it was a little off the beaten track, but connectivity has improved, I'm told. And after seeing the demand for visiting and winery experiences, um, they are planning to build an experience center and several other hospitality projects in the near future. Finally, uh, as far as Christmas States is concerned, they also had plans for a state-of-the-art tasting room at their winery. They do winery tours. The advantage they have is that they are very, very well located to the UNESCO World Heritage Center in Hampi. It's a short uh, car ride away, and it also attracts a lot of visitors. So you can make a short trip down to the winery from there. Finally, let's have a look at the macro indicators and FNB trends, which would indicate that the premium wine consumption in India is bound to accelerate in the future. So this slide, which you can see, there's a lot of matter. I have divided into three categories. The first is um, uh, focused on the middle class, the burgeoning, growing middle class. The second talks about research, which is being done on FNB trends. And finally, the third talks about the demographics, which will drive a premium consumption. When it comes to the middle class, um, the sources for my uh, research have been Asian Studies Organization, McKinsey, and the IWSR. And they say that India could have the third largest number of high income households by 2030 after China and the US, despite COVID-19 challenges. This would indicate that 140 million Indian households will move into the middle class with its accompanying disposable income, and another 20 million will move into the high income category. 
and corresponding spends on categories like food, beverage, etc., are forecasted to increase significantly. So you can see how that would impact premium wine consumption. Also, the IWSR told me that while uh, the pandemic uh, hit the Indian wine industry uh, quite badly, and overall consumption was down. Sorry, was down. However, uh, wine consumption per se is forecasted to grow by 17% in the next three years up to 2025. Secondly, we come to the F&B trends. Um, this, uh, these, uh, this research has been taken from the Indian Wine Insider, which was uh, the survey done in 2017 by Sonal Holland MW. And among the uh, findings were a few very interesting things. Wine is increasingly perceived as healthier and more sophisticated a beverage. In 2017, super premium wine was already a fast growing category and wine is considered a highly aspirational drink following high visibility in pop culture and you know, Netflix and TV and movies and such. And uh, significantly, increasingly popular among younger consumers of the age 25 to 34. And this, I would say, is quite a contrast to what is happening in the West. So this younger demographic is going to drive growth in India, it is predicted. And uh, they are also, along with women, the younger consumers are prepared to spend more on wine, which is, again, uh, interesting and relates to the premiumization trend. Finally, again, we come back to the demographic of young people. Today's millennials and Generation Z in India will be the dominant demographic by 2030, says the World Economic Forum report. Specifically, they will be 77% of the Indian population. Growth drivers, influencers, more willing to spend compared to their predecessors, highly informed and discerning about consumption due to greater travel and uh, you know, looking for uh, niche and special experiences. They will also, in 2030, spend 50% more on consumption experiences versus today. They will be more experimentative, less hampered by cultural norms, and they will be 40% more digitally influenced in their purchases, which in 2019 was just 20%. So digital buying and digital influence uh, will shoot up. As you know, India, we do not permit uh, public advertising of alcoholic beverages, but they have been um, working very hard on social media. And Sula today has close to 100,000 Instagram followers. They tell me they are the 15th most followed winery worldwide after the champagne houses and that they aim to be at in the top 10 by the end of the year. So just to recap briefly, we have the growing middle class, increased spends, uh, increase in wine uh, consumption overall, wine being regarded as healthier, more sophisticated, aspirational, uh, something which the younger people would like very much to experience and uh, widen their experience of. And also, this younger demographic will be the dominant demographic in India in a very, very short period of time. So that is what I have for you. 
Um, uh, thank you very much. And of course, if you have any further questions, please feel free to uh, get in touch. Uh, I will now hand it back to um, Harshal, who will uh, moderate the Q&A. Excellent. Thank you, Ruma. Really, really interesting and um, genuinely interesting. Um, I, I lived in India from 2007 to 2012 at the time of the creation of the Grape Processing Board. And there was this real interest in, in promoting the industry at the time. And it's, it's, it's wonderful to see how, how far the industry has come in since 2012 when I left in the last 10 years. Um, you know, the, 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 new play, the new players, the guys like Fratelli and Charisma, and then the existing players, Sula and, and Grover, Grover Zampa, I think they're, they're doing a great job. And even in a small country like Ireland, where I'm based, <clears throat> I'm seeing Indian wines on, on, on wine lists and portfolios of, of import. So it's, 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 it's great. I, um, the, the couple of things I wanted to, to ask you, Ruma, um, a couple of questions that have come in and, and just some thoughts that I've had, and maybe you can, you can try and answer them. Just going back to the, initially, when you were talking about the, the when Maharashtra and Karnataka, the, 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 two, the two states, um, Sorry, I have a, a sick dog here. Um, Maharashtra and the two states, when they came up with these wine policies in the in the mid two thousands, what what was what were the policies about? Uh, lower taxation for one, as you know, the Indian uh, tax structure is challenging to say the least. And uh, yes, it just made uh, a whole the whole approach to wine much more easier and more accessible without going into all the details. For instance, in Karnataka, where the license for serving liquor in the entree is very, very high. You have to buy it. It's, it's ridiculously highly priced. But if you were to get one only for wine, you would have to pay a fraction of that. So there were similar things which were put into practice, and that has definitely helped grow the pie in these states, I feel. Okay, interesting. Yeah, I think, and I think I've, I've seen it in in the Western world as well. That you know, wine licenses, uh, wine only licenses to promote wine as a drink, um, are cheaper, more accessible, um, less cumbersome to get than, let's say, a full license or a spirits license or whatever you want to call it. And that's, I suppose, that's, that leads into another point. It, it, based on those policies today, twenty years later, <clears throat> um, is there, you know, is is there some is there some sort of push to to pr promote wine and separate it from other alcohol or is wine still lumped into the alcohol category i'm afraid you're right as far mm -hmm. as the powers that be are concerned um we that is still a, a, a challenge that is still something which uh, i think they're working with we have several producers associations and they're fighting the good fight but however you know, it's uh, I, I don't see the attitude of the government changing very uh, soon or it will change very gradually. There are always moments of great hope. For instance, the uh, the Delhi government is now looking at you know changing the policy and there's great excitement in the hope that things will become uh, better. But, you know, it's just sort of living on a day to day basis. And honestly, one cannot predict when it comes to government policies, which way that will go. So it's going to take a while, uh, Harshal. It's not going to happen overnight. But what is encouraging is the fact that despite all the negativities, uh, some of which I've touched upon in the presentation, there is still so much 
of growth. There's so much of interest. And I see that on the ground every day. I mean, the people who just keep wanting to know more about wine. And I think as that grows, as far as um, uh, the country is concerned, there will be growth. How fast it happens, of course, now depends on many circumstances. As COVID has taught us, there's no absolutes that we can depend on. So that's so that is that's that's a very good point. That you know there is, there, it's going to be small growth. And and I suppose the question then is, this is the question that was asked in the in the Q and A by somebody. You know, is premiumization the avenue to increase consumption, or should winery someone like maybe it's someone like Charisma, for example, should they be focusing more on getting their wine accessible to people by, based on price? I mean, you know. Mm. If you think well, of the Bordeaux you know, trends and you see how, I mean, the, yeah. most, the simplest or the crudest example is look at Mouton Rothschild and look at Mouton Cadet. You know, it's a, one is yeah. one, the, the cheaper product is used as a gateway to, premium, to the premium yeah. product. Is, is it no, something that they would consider, you know? I, yeah, I hear what you're saying. However, I would yeah. also remind you that Bordeaux has a sea of wine which nobody ever knows of and nobody ever drinks. And that, unfortunately, is uh, the way that the Indian wine industry started. And I think they learned the lesson from that. They still have those lower end wines in their portfolio. But I think to gain acceptance and to gain attraction in the domestic and the international uh, industry and to gain that whole um, uh, you know, uh, respect of people that they are making good wine, they need to uh, also focus on their premium wines and deliver consistency and quality there. Mm. And of course, I do agree with you, mid-price wines is the way to go. But unfortunately, as you know, there are many, many factors which come in the way of that, um, mm. including our climate and many other, many other factors. Yeah, I mean, if anything, as you were saying, I think what was really cool was to see the, you know, the the, the wine tourism initiatives that are, that are about to take place or, or that exist with Sula at the source and what Grover are looking at doing with their thing in in in, in Karnataka, um, and maybe that's the way. Maybe that's a nice avenue to to up, upsell, you know, to get them into the into the lounge or into the the wine we visit and then say, look, here's what we have and here's the, you know, here's the next step up if you want to, if you want to buy it or if you want to yeah. go back to your cities and talk about it and maybe think yeah. about it. In fact, it's, it's really... has, yeah, in fact, sorry, Sula has gone that route. And in fact, they say their highest yeah. sales come out of their uh, wine tourism projects. The where, doors, and yeah. they say also, uh, yeah, their cellar doors and they say the maximum number of wine drinkers today who have their first sip of wine are in the Sula cellar door. Yeah, it's really, it's really cool. Very, very fast. It's fascinating. Um, okay, we have to, we have to wrap up. Uh, Thank you, Roman. That was really interesting. I, I thought, um, I mean, the thing that stood out for me was that 75% of wine consumed in India is domestic wine. You know, when I lived there, I, I wouldn't have thought that was the case. Uh, most of it was drunk from hotels and um, the restaurants. But yeah. it's, so it's great yeah. to see that there is there is a movement towards, uh, uh, you know, that yes, local yes. industry. And, and yes. people Don't are, forget you know, that domestic wine is not the wine that you would have drunk in any case, Harshal. A lot of it isn't. What we are looking at is the premium part of it, which now if you come back and have a drink, uh, I think you will be much better impressed than you were in the past. Okay. I'll, book, I'll book a flight very soon, as soon as we can. Thanks, Ruma. Thank you very much. And thank you to, uh, to all of you for attending. It's been, um, it's been great. Uh, I think the, the rest of the, the next few days are going to be really fascinating with what, what's being discussed and what's being um, debated and questioned and presented. So enjoy the rest of the sessions. Thank you very much and have a great rest of your day.
Thank you. Thanks, Harsha. Thanks, everyone. We hope you enjoyed today's episode brought to you by the Wine to Wine Business Forum 2022. This year will mark the ninth edition of the forum to be held on November 7th and 8th. 2022 in Verona, Italy. Remember, tickets are on sale now, so for more information, please visit us at winetowine.net. I'm Joy Livingston, and I am the producer of the Italian Wine Podcast. Thank you for listening. We are the only wine podcast that has been doing a daily show since the pandemic began. This is a labor of love, and we are committed to bringing you free content every day. Of course, this takes time and effort, not to mention the cost of equipment, production, and editing. We would be grateful for your donations, suggestions, requests, and ideas. For more information on how to get in touch, go to italianwinepodcast.com.